You're listening to R&B's On The Verge podcast series, where we look at disruption through the lens of opportunity. My name is Willem van der Post, and this is the R&B On The Verge series, where we take a look at disruption, but through the lens of opportunity. And joining me today is Himesh Kala from the Foundry team at R&B. And Himesh, you are a blockchain lead and expert. Within that framework, I want to immediately ask, what is Project Libra from Facebook? What does it mean and where are we going with this? Okay, great. Thank, thanks, Willem. It's great to be here. I think, first of all, I'm not an expert. <laughs> I don't think anyone is right now. This uh, space is evolving so fast. And you can, are you an expert today, tomorrow, or yesterday? <laughs> yeah, uh, ever-changing. So, yes, ever-changing. So, so let's just say, what is Libra? So the way I like to think of it in a more simplistic way is that think of a digital country. You've got a digital country, and this digital country is now going to issue its own currency. Let's call it Libra. In this country, we have 2.7 billion population. That would be the largest single population That will be the largest single in the world. population grouping in the world. Wow. And this population is made up of every, every one of us right now. So you use WhatsApp today. You use Facebook Messenger. You use Instagram. That makes us a citizen of this digital country. <laughs> Does that make Mark Zuckerberg our president? 100%. <laughs> uh, so I think that's an important point, and I think let's clarify that a little. So Libra, the Libra project has been driven and initiated by Facebook. However, they have tried to divorce themselves from the actual management of the currency, being Libra, and they've created a separate structure, a separate legal entity called the Libra Association. And the Libra Association's job is to twofold. One is to manage the actual network itself, the, net, the blockchain network upon which Libra currency will operate. And secondly, to actually manage the monetary policy of the Libra currency. So are we in fact here talking about a global central bank being formed? Because you and I in the real life world sit in South Africa, but other users don't. So we have a, a, a practically globally disaggregated community, but if you have a single currency, it means we're talking cross-border. 100%. And I think that's the sort of intention of Libra. So what they've said is, if we look at post the birth of the internet 30 years ago, what they have said is uh, the advent of e-commerce has come across. Now, what we've unlocked is global trade, meaning I can buy something on Amazon, from a manufacturer or producer in the US. Yes. I can see it, I can use it, but what they do claim is that money hasn't evolved at the same pace as which I can do global trade. Meaning that if I see a product on Amazon and I wanna buy something and it's manufactured in the US, I can order it online through the Amazon portal or the uh, Alibaba portal, but how do I actually get the money across to you? Mm. Right. So that's where these global remittance services now so today you would use something like Visa and MasterCard to, to actually make those payments. The challenge I have is that behind the scenes is about at least five or six different hops that needs to happen to get your actual rands converted into dollars to actually pay that person sitting in the US. Now, Let's quickly talk through that value chain just mm -hmm. to contrast it to what's going to happen. Yes. So take me from I swipe my credit card, mm -hmm. or not swipe in this case, I would type the particulars into a portal like an Amazon. What happens from there in the background? All right, so, so what happens there is that it first goes through, uh, I get issued with a credit card through my bank, and my bank has an acquiring partner. Now, what happens is I have a bank account, and my credit card is linked to my bank account. 
the rands in this case, let's say we're doing a, a payment in dollars, the rands in this case will firstly have to get uh, converted into dollars, which will then go through. But my exchange. bank does that part. My bank converts my rands into my new dollars. Yeah, so Visa MasterCard will be part of that. Right. And uh, they will give you an exchange rate at which it gets converted. Okay. Then the actual dollars will need to get placed into uh, the recipient's dollar account sitting there. And that has to go through the whole exchange control process. It then has to go and get placed into the actual dollar account sitting in the foreign currency bank, whether that be Citibank or JP Morgan along those lines. So you've got your local bank, you've got the quiet current partner, you've got Visa, MasterCard, and you've got the foreign bank, and then you've got the foreign bank's... Uh, the vendor. Sort of the vendor, yeah. And between that also, we have two regulatory bodies that need to agree on the protocol for this. That's correct. Okay, that's the status quo. Yes. Now, Libra is going to change this. Libra changes that fundamentally. So what Libra aims to do is creates a peer-to-peer -peer currency. So it doesn't go through any of the traditional banking systems. It doesn't go through any of the traditional re regulatory frameworks at this stage, the way it's designed. So is it fair to say I, I would buy Libra presumably through my RANDs? Correct. So, so right now, Libra is the currency. The actual ecosystem around it still needs to evolve, meaning that I still need an on-ramp and an off-ramp between my local currency into Libra. And that will typically be uh, provided by uh, banking services, market makers, and that will manage this for you. Or typically go through someone like uh, the current crypto exchanges like Luna or Vela in South Africa. So you would take your rents, deposit it into an account, buy some Libra. Once I have the Libra, and that, that I think what's important here just to, to sort of explain is the difference between Libra and Calibra. Now Calibra is actually what Facebook is building. Calibra is the actual digital wallet that you will hold your Libra in. Okay, my digital Mont Blanc. 100%. Right. right. And Calibra itself will be an application which you can download on your phone, on your iPhone or your, uh, your, your Android, and you will be able to hold your Libra in this wallet. Okay. So Calibra, the wallet, Libra, the money in the wallet. That's correct. Okay, so now I have this money in my wallet after I've on-ramped, and I want to now buy something from Amazon. Firstly, is Amazon going to accept this as payment well at this stage we're not sure which merchants are going to actually accept which retail merchants but what we do know is that they have part of the libra association they have 28 founding partners right and that includes very powerful partners people like visa and mastercard are on there oh wow okay you've got ngos on there like kiva you've got uh, bigger players like spotify you've got uber on there you, so you can start to see that this network that they're creating is quite powerful. Now, once they create this network, those are the founding members and they, those companies are going to start to accept Libra. Right. And I suppose if I'm a merchant and I'm looking at a population in this digital country, as you called it, of 2.5 billion people, that's not an opportunity I want to miss. So the incentive is there to adopt. 100%. And, and, and that's it, you know. So, you know, we often say, you know, the merchants are often uh, pushed to, to service their customers. And if you want, if, if there's definite push from customers to actually want to pay you in Libra, merchants will start adopting it. Okay, so now for the man in the street, you mentioned that I'll be paying peer-to-peer, -peer, and that means essentially that all these intermediaries are going to disappear out of this particular uh, protocol. So okay. if I wanted to buy something from Amazon and we assume that they get on board and I will accept my payment, does that mean that I send them the money directly or how does it work? Correct. So the, the, the Libra, not the money, the Libra. 100%. So, 
So once you're on Libra and you have a Libra wallet, what you'll have is a little address. Now think of it as, as your bank account number. So this bank account number will be in a simple QR code where if I want to transfer money to you, you show me your QR code, I will scan it, and uh, the payment will get made close to real time. All right, that must mean a reduction in cost also because I don't have to pay for the services of all these other parties that ordinarily provide service in this value chain. Correct. Look, the challenge I have is that the Libra currency will still have to operate on some sort of network and rails. Now, they are using their own blockchain called the Libra blockchain, which they have created and built. And on this blockchain, just like the Bitcoin blockchain, anything you have, there has to be an incentive model to keep this blockchain secure. And right now, they they have node operators, and these are all the founding partners are going to run a node. To run a node, the initial investment to be a node operator on this network is $10 million. So you've got to pay $10 million to run this node. Now, you've got to ask yourself, what is the incentive of running this node? Am I going to get transactional fees? So every time I, somebody transfers money to you, do I get a piece of a transaction? It's like mining, it sounds like. Similar to mining. There has right. to be an incentive for that network to actually... Yeah, uphold that infrastructure. And uphold the infrastructure. And, and what is my ROI or return on investment on the actual running a node? Right. So, so with that, we start getting into the question of Libra's vision around creating close to zero cost transactional fees. Right, that's a great that vision. How do we now. do that? Yes, yeah, so how do we do that? So, so now we're going to start getting into actually how the reserve currency is going to, or Libra currency is going to get managed and, and controlled, right? So we're going to have, so unlike Bitcoin today, that doesn't have an asset backing the actual currency, and the actual value is based on supply and di- demand dynamics. Uh, perception largely. Perception largely, right? Okay. So... That's one of the biggest challenges right now why merchants haven't been adopting uh, Bitcoin. Of course, let's just dive into that because if I sell my bread for one Bitcoin, it's 180,000 Rand today. If we look at the volatility historically, it might mean that tomorrow it's a quarter of a million or five. 100%. So so there's four four main elements why. So Bitcoin originally came out to be a separate independent peer-to-peer payment system. Now, what has limited it from becoming that over the last 10 years? Four factors. One, price stability. Second one, transactional costs. So as the network gets more and more congested, the costs, the transactional costs go slightly higher. And let's just unpack that as, as a subset just quickly. Mm-hmm. Is that because we have many more miners adding computing power to validating these transactions? And as a result of that, they're, they're, the, the cost of the transaction fee is actually skyrocketing because so many more people are competing for it. I think as, the, as more and more transactions come on board, there's a question where the, the miners... Which one do you? Which transaction do you take? Once you've uh, identified what the next block is, you've got a set of transactions sitting in what we call the memory pool, and which one is? Which ones do these miners accept now? Let me guess. Highest value. Hundred percent. So okay. Yeah. So depending on, on, on how much fee you add to that uh, cost, the the miner will then. So so right now there's two incentives for miners. One is the actual transaction fees associated with that. And the other one is the actual block rewards or the actual new money that gets printed in, in the Bitcoin world. Okay, and so that dynamic set is the second factor of four that Mm -hmm. precluded mass adoption. Correct. So the fact that there was a bit of instability in terms of what the transactional cost would be, and uh, sometimes when it's high traffic, uh, the cost being really high, that sort of limits it. And then the other one was scalability. So today, in terms of if there's more and more transactions that grow, it means more and more of the world starts adopting Bitcoin and starts using it, and there's high transaction volumes, 
the system can't scale that fast. So today, to give you an example. Uh, sorry, the system can't scale that fast? can't that handle that. So I'll give you an example. So Visa today, Visa and MasterCard can handle 24,000 transactions per second. <laughs> right. Whereas Bitcoin can only manage about five to seven at max transactions per second. So now you can start figuring out if there's a billion people paying for their coffees today, how does, how does those transactions get to their finality state? So that's one of the big challenges. And lastly, the global regulation. So what is the regulation? Can I use it? Is it legal tender? Is Bitcoin legal tender? Is cryptocurrency legal tender in my country? And each jurisdiction has different regulations, so it's starting to become hard and hard to adopt. Now, let's take all of that and say, how is Libra solving that? And how is Libra going to think that they're going to create this new peer-to-peer -peer payment system? Now, on the price stability, in order to maintain price stability, what Libra is saying is we're going to actually hold a reserve of known assets that has known value in reserve so that it has a one-to-one -one backing or it has it has an intrinsic value. We have to we have to pause on this. Yeah. This is huge. This sounds like the gold standard. 100%. A currency backed by gold, now a digital currency backed by some other asset basket. That's correct. What sits in the basket? What sits in the basket? So right now, they want highly liquid currencies, fiat currency. And the top four currencies that they're choosing right now is dollar, euro, pound, and yen. But those currencies also fluctuate. And so aren't we talking about the fluctuating value in the basket and therefore a fluctuating value of Libra, which brings us back to the first problem, price volatility. Yes. However, the price volatility on Bitcoin versus the price volatility on dollar, euro, and euro, pound is... Fundamentally different. different. Right. So the one could move between 20% on a day. The other could move maybe less than 5%. And as you add more and more baskets, you create a lot more stability. As you add more and more currencies within the basket, you create a little bit more stability. So, for example, if if the dollar drops significantly, but the pound, euro, and yen still hold their stability, then you start creating a, a bit of a blend. So I don't want to throw too much of a curveball here, but I'm just thinking Zimbabwe probably argued stability of their currency for a long time as well. Uh, Over-issuance, amongst other things, caused hyperinflation and the value there moved in the thousands of percentiles. Mm -hmm. So we, we call the dollar stable now. If we look at new leadership, there are a lot of questions as to policy that's being introduced and what that means for uh, broad economic stability. Mm -hmm. Euro sees exits happening left and right. Uh, the Japanese yen is controlled. So mm -hmm. is, is this a good strategy in your opinion? So I think, so, so coming back to the analogy of this digital country, right? So Libra, in the Libra, the Libra Association, their core mandate will be to have a division that basically a treasury division, just like our Central Bank of South Africa, that's going to manage the currency and manage oh, wow. the monetary policy of this, of, of this currency, right? So their main aim will be to monitor the fluctuations of all the assets within this basket and make sure that the volatility remains fairly very low. So if there is a crisis and Donald Trump decides that he wants to start a war with North Korea, they'll, dis they'll either take that US dollar currency out of the basket over time or choose a another asset that has a lot more stability. Wow. All right, so that could also be gold. It could be government bonds. And who knows, maybe it could be Bitcoin over time. Well, we're entering a whole new era of, of thinking about money, uh, mm -hmm. borders, e-commerce, and global citizenship. Yes. So what are the opportunities around here? I'm listening to this. I'm getting mm -hmm. excited. And uh, if 
I'm an entrepreneur out there, I must, I must be thinking, okay, how do I capitalize on this? What are the opportunities? Do I become a merchant? Do I become a miner? How do I do this? What, yes. what in your view constitutes the commercial opportunities that sit around this? No, that's perfect. So, so maybe if I can just break that out into three components. One is, what does this mean for central banks around the world? What does it mean for commercial banks? And what does it mean for the entrepreneurs? Right. People that want to capitalize on this. So let's start off. I think Libra right now is probably the biggest threat to central banks, not commercial banks. That kind of negates the need for existence. Correct. So, I mean, let's take South Africa, for example. If we believe that Libra is going to start getting adopted more and more in South Africa, what does it mean for our local currency? Mm-hmm. It means that we could start seeing... So in order for me to buy Libra, what I got to do is I got to take a rand, probably convert it into one of the basket currencies, dollar, pound, yen, euro, and then buy Libra with that. Now, what does it mean? It starts meaning that more and more people are start selling off their rand mm. to buy foreign currency that's going to sit in reserve. That means the rand starts depreciation or we start having more capital flight in South Africa. Rand defection. Rand defection. Right. So, wow. And if people... St- and more and more people in South Africa start using Libra, it means that the central bank has less control over its levers that it has around interest rates and all of that, and its control over around how the RAND actually gets valued and how, how this RAND gets its stability in terms of usage. Right? So there is a big threat around Libra for central banks around the world, not just around South Africa. Is a, just your personal opinion, let's just quickly get a bit more granular. Is this... A good or a bad thing? This could be quite a bad thing for South Africa Inc. as a whole. Right. The good side of it, it starts putting a lot of pressure on governments and central banks to get their act together. Right. Right. So the way we see this is that in developing economies, Libra will probably get to target those economies first, meaning that where you have price stability, have a good financial system, it's likely that Libra will probably adopt in those countries much later. Much later. Yeah. Less where, incentive for society. 100%. So where you have more developing economies, that's, I mean, South Africa is, is questionable, but I mean, let's take Zim, for example. That's a great example of Venezuela or Argentina where, we, where they're having all of these crises right now. You're probably going to see a lot more adoption in those countries first as opposed to, um, to other countries. Now, what it what does mean is if people start adopting Libra, it does mean that it does put a lot of pressure on governments and saying, if we can't stop this adoption in our country, we start losing control over the country. So it says, you know, hence we're starting to see this competition between privately issued money versus government issued money. And now governments are starting to get their act together and saying, how can we issue our own digital currency? And how do we start competing with this capability of allowing people to have digital versions of cash and do peer-to-peer uh, commerce? So, I mean, this has huge implications if you think about a revenue service that needs to know about uh, moving money around the planet, such mm-hmm. as to be able to levy, levy tax and collect tax. And in a peer-to-peer system, uh, there isn't necessarily insight as to which transactions have taken place and therefore what taxes to levy. So, governmentally, this, this is huge. What, what do you see as government's response around this? Specifically yeah. in South Africa, because they must have heard the rumors as well. Correct, yeah. So, I mean, if we look at our, uh, the, the policy paper that is, not the, so the consultation paper that the Saab has issued around digital assets, that's what they call it, not digital currencies, they are adopting, firstly and foremost, they are not making any of these legal tender, right? So we're probably going to see the same thing happen with Libra. Libra will not be legal tender in South Africa. Secondly, Sorry, can I just ask, can, can they preclude merchants from accepting Libra as payment? No. 
They can that is up to the merchant. It's up to the merchant. The merchant can accept a sheep, a banana, or a libra, or a rand. Correct. Correct. Right. But the liability will then sit with the merchant and not with the SAP. So in the event of... Not government-backed. Uh, it's not government-backed in the event of bailout. In the event that libra goes to zero, government's going to say, sorry, you chose to use this. It's, it's, it's on, on your court. So lots of freedom, but lots of risk as well. 100%. Okay, let's just go back. We spoke about the different impact sectors when I asked around the opportunities and you spoke of the central banks. <laughs> Lastly, the entrepreneurs, and I forgot what the middle one was. Yes, so commercial banks. That's right. So let's talk about a little bit about commercial banks and what the impacts could be on commercial banks. From a commercial bank perspective, I mean, their core business is in lending, right? So we take in deposits and we lend out and we mask the two and we pay you a bit of interest for your deposits. We lend out and we earn a bit of interest and we take a bit of the margin spread on that. On that. Um, so it does what it does mean is that commercial banks need to probably start using this new form of of capital or value transfer and start providing its same banking type services on top of this new rails. So in other words, I have a Rand credit card and a Libra credit card. Essentially. Yeah. Or I can have a Rand account on my FNB wallet on my mobile banking and I can store my Libra on there if I choose to actually build my own wallet. Wow. What it does also mean is that some of the risks that we do face from a commercial bank perspective is data insights. So mm. we may start seeing that we don't have the same transactional data insights that we used to have to provide more credit, to better do credit scoring on you to actually give you better loans because now all of the data will actually be sitting on the blockchain, which we don't have sight over unless you decide to give us mm. your, your, your list of transactions. So we start losing sight on transactional data. Secondly, we start potentially losing revenue on our transaction fees so well that the consumer would like that they would love it they would love it and hence hence we would potentially see some adoption in that space if i mean typically today if you had to go and use your credit card at a merchant the merchant picks up the cost between three to five percent of the transaction the merchant has to pay for 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 the for using the positive device or your credit card now in the in the libra world the merchant doesn't pick up any of that cost Perfect. so that transactional revenue that the banks used to make and Visa and MasterCard used to make could fall away completely. Wow. So that is a, that is a big risk. So from a bank perspective, what can we do and uh, you know, what are the options that the commercial banks have? We could uh, do allow people the on-ramps and off-ramps and do the currency conversion, help you do it. We can do the necessary reporting for you. We can actually build our own wallet, just like Facebook has Calibra. We can now integrate Libra within our wallet and hold it as a custodial service for you. We can then... Uh, provide you, you know, down the line, some loans using Libra. Um, I suppose compliance services. Compliance services, tax reporting services, all of those type of aspects. So Adding value to the consumer's life, 100%. in other words. I think that's a wonderful era. And then lastly, sort of entrepreneurs. Yes. Let's talk about entrepreneurs and what it means. So the lens of opportunity. Let's see about that. The lens of opportunity. So, you know, the way we see Libra, uh, you know, the way we like to think of it is that it's a new financial services platform for entrepreneurs to innovate upon. So let's think about your iPhone, your iStore, and Google Play Store. Today, if you want to build an app, you, you can build, you can go directly on there and build your app for free and launch it on the iStore or launch it on the, on the Google Play Store. Now, take that same analogy and apply it onto the Libra platform. What is important around cryptocurrencies, and particularly around uh, Libra, is its ability to do smart contracting. Now, what smart contracting basically means is that you've now got programmable money. Now, 
you can just think about the level of innovations you can start creating around programmable money. We can talk about uh, digital escrow services. Mm. Where now we're starting to cut out lawyers. You know, where you're starting cutting out the third middleman. So if I want to pay you for goods and services, I pay Libra into this uh, into this contract, smart contract. In the event that you don't deliver your goods and services, the money comes back to me directly. No need for no need for lawyers anymore. No need wow. no need for those third party escrow services to actually send there. We can program all of that and all of the conditions around how trade should happen directly with in that money service. So suppose that also has an impact downstream on uh, mediation, arbitration, and also the, the, as you said, lawyers, but the broader legal system because the legal workings have been automated and the machine is not asking you for your opinion or whether Correct. you argue this in the eloquent way it's saying Correct. these are the facts and therefore these are the rules 100 so the rules are all black and white and based on any one of those conditions money will either be paid back to you directly or paid uh, or given back to me you know so so that's the type of you know innovation we're going to start seeing down the line you know what it does do is does it basically what we think is democratizes financial services as we know it right so uh, anybody now can start building insurance applications using money Anybody can start building uh, escrow type services. We can start doing better trade finance uh, capabilities where money is, you know, um, is, is delivered based on certain, as goods get delivered, money is shift, shifted as goods gets delivered on the one end. So strikes me that there's also a financial inclusion opportunity here by virtue of being able to access crowdfunding for things like loans, finance, uh, the ability to tap the community. Or contributions exactly so so libra's three core problems that they want to solve uh, what is their problem statement so one is financial inclusion and what they are saying is currently there's about 1.7 billion people around the world that is unbanked or underbanked and with this level this platform what it does allow people to do is start tapping into those industries that traditional commercial banks could not access and create innovations within that space doing better credit scoring models you know, doing alternative ways of uh, providing funding to this, providing, uh, creating crowdfunding platforms. You know, so they believe that that will unlock and help us solve the unbanked, underbanked problem. The second problem that they're trying to solve is increase global trade. Mm. And uh, we know about that, and we spoke about that earlier around. It takes about three to five days for money to actually get cleared um, if you're doing a cross-border payment. Uh, so that's another one they want to try and unlock global trade. And lastly, they talk about um, they talk about reducing the cost of cash. Okay, now so, right there's a segue if you don't mind, mm -hmm. because if 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 this reduces the cost and friction of making money, mm -hmm. does it not also pose a hyperinflation risk? Because the cost of issuing more libras, I think that's the plural, the libras or librae. So let's call them the Libras. <laughs> the, the the is near infinite. If it, there's there's no production line here, I just hit some buttons on a keyboard and issue more cash, flooding the market, introducing the risk of hyperinflation. So that's a very 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 important point. And um, you know we've seen the the birth of many stable coins. Uh, we haven't spoken about, but Libra is essentially what we call a stable coin in the cryptocurrency world. And um, we've seen the birth of and the most popular one right now is called Tether. Now. Similar concept where they take physical fiat dollars and store it in a bank account. And on the back of the dollars, they issue tokens. Right now, 
one of the big challenges around that was they were there was big questions around how much dollars are actually in sitting in reserve versus mm. how much tokens are an issue. And that led to a lot of it losing its peg to the dollar. A lack of trust. Lack of trust, right? right. So what, what we're starting to see more and more is having proper internal audits coming in place or, and external audits coming in place saying, show me how much reserve you have uh, sitting in your in your account, so how much, and then show me how much tokens are in circulation. And that audit and continuous audit on an ongoing basis will help keep that in check. Now, what's important to understand is that they should, Libra, the, the actual Libra Association and the actual team that's going to be managing the actual reserve itself should never issue more tokens than what they have in reserve. So the total value of the reserve should equal to the total value of the tokens in, in circulation. And that's very, very important. And that's a one-to-one -one backing. A one-to-one -one backing. Okay. Um, maybe just in wrapping up, let me ask you this. What is the, what is the time frame around all of this going live? So, so they have a very ag aggressive time frame. So they've launched the Libra white paper, uh, was launched in June this year. And they're looking to target a launch in 2020, mid-2020. So that's literally... So we've got within a year, a year go. of the white paper. So we've got a year, year to go. So they've done a lot of the development has already been done. So they actually, they have the Libra network uh, live uh, in a test form. So they've got a test net. Uh, Libra, and so people can start testing it, building applications, and start using it right now in, in its test form. One of the biggest challenges that's going to dictate whether they launch or not is regulatory buy-in. So right now, they have three big challenges or four big challenges from regulators. So firstly, actually, before the, all of that challenge, they have Facebook themselves don't have a clean record right now. So we, you know, they hold some reputational taint around their data privacy, yes. around Cambridge Analytica. They've just been used. They've just been fined close to five billion US dollars hmm. for data privacy uh, breaches. So one is regulators don't trust Facebook, right? Hmm. But besides that, in terms for Libra to be successful, they need to have regulator buy-in across each of the jurisdictions that they operate in. That includes compliance to let's say South African law now so one of if we talk about just the four components within South Africa we've got terrorist financing we've got money laundering we've got uh, exchange control so just that alone you know how do we com combat those and how does Facebook and ensure that if they've created this platform where anybody can build financial service applications on how are they going to manage that how are they going to control that how are they, they going to ensure that people that use Libra are KYC'd that they're not on some terrorist list, um, that they are not breaching XCON limits by pushing more money offshore. Uh, you know, so all of those still need to get resolved before they before can June launch, next year, which is that's aggressive. Going to be very interesting. <laughs> but what we do believe is that in current in, in 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 jurisdictions and countries where they do have more positive regulation and more certain regulation, we might see Libra starting to launch in those countries that are more uh, pro-cryptocurrencies like yeah. Switzerland, like the Malta, like the Gibraltars, all of those type of currencies. And on the and other side of the spectrum, of course, places like India that have now banned cryptocurrency. I'm not yes. sure that this actually falls into cryptocurrency if it's backed. That's an interesting debate to have. But they certainly have their work cut out for them. Definitely. So there you have it. Uh, the future, potentially, of currency, financial services, and all of the uncertainty and therefore opportunities associated with this new era. Wonderful talking to you. Thanks. Thanks. You've been listening to RB's On the Verge podcast series. 
Subscribe for more solutionist thinking.